um, right after I finished learning English, which is essentially grade four, I started writing poetry. And my mom had always encouraged me, so not a typical Chinese parent. My parents thought it would be great if I did art and writing. You're listening to Chief Executive Auntie, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Teresa Robeson, author of the picture book biography, Queen of Physics. She was born in Hong Kong, grew up in Vancouver, and currently lives in Bloomington, Indiana. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I am so excited to have you here today because I think the first, like, career that I put myself as wanting to be when I was a kid was children's book illustrators. So now I'm finally meeting my childhood dream. (laughs) Awesome. Do you write full time? Yes, I do now. I'm happy to say. (laughs) Um, So what does a typical children's illustrator book day look like? What do you do every day? Well, I actually um, write only, uh, although I do illustrate, Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't been, you know, paid to do that yet. (laughs) But um, usually because I work at home, because I'm an introvert too, (laughs) I... uh, I would get up in the morning, get everybody ready for work or school, and then I would sit down and write for a little bit. Oftentimes, and this is not good, I start checking my emails and social media we first. We all do. It's okay. Yeah, they say you shouldn't. You should use your clear morning brain to write. But I often check first, and then I'll do a bit of writing, and then I'll exercise, and then I'll write some more in the afternoon. Act- Actually, after lunch and before everybody comes home for dinner is when my most productive time is. Um, And then in between, I get distracted easily. So I get (laughs) up and do the laundry and, you know, other housework thing. Oh, the floor needs vacuuming. (laughs) That is why, that's why sometimes I come to the co-working space because there's no chores to distract me. (laughs) Yes, that's clever. I should do that. Except I don't like to leave the house. (laughs) And you live on a homestead, a farm? Yeah, yeah, we have 27 acres, so my husband is actually the gardener, so he he grows a ton of vegetables, I'm just the helper, so when the kids were little, I would, you know, help weed and stuff, but now that the kids are older, the kids do all the gardening help, but I I wash all the vegetables because we can and freeze and, you know, process our foods. That's so cool. Is that something that you've always been interested in or just something you fell into because... Of love, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that letter. <laughs> I grew up a city girl. I mm-hmm. grew up in Hong Kong and then Vancouver. So, you know, big city. My, my mom liked to grow things, but she never asked for our help because in Vancouver, her plot was like, you know, the size of this table here, right. you know, three by 10, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, I, yeah, I really wasn't, you know, interested in gardening or processing or anything. But my husband is uh, interested in, well, being self-sufficient. So mm-hmm. I just learned along with him how to do all these things. And it's it's great. In the winter, you just go to your, you know, root cellar and pull out jars of canned tomato sauce and green beans and all that other stuff that, that we grew. So That is pretty cool. 
You're a you're a writer and homesteader. Yeah. <laughs> cool combination. Writer by choice, homesteader by love. <laughs> the things we do for love. I yes. am I mean, I ended up in southern Indiana basically for love following my following my husband's job. So Me too. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of stories like that here. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's so you grew up in Hong Kong and then uh, or so you were born in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and then grew up in Vancouver. Uh, how you went and you went to school at UBC, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And mm-hmm. what did you study there? I studied, well, I wanted to be an astrophysicist, but I have low self-confidence. Aww. So I, after taking, you know, a bunch of math and science classes, I thought maybe I can't handle this. Aww. And so I switched over to linguistics, which was a lot easier. I uh, did the specialty of speech science, um, mm-hmm. but it that prepares you to be an audiologist or speech therapist. And when I was done with my linguistics degree, I thought, you know what? I'm an introvert. I really don't like working with people. <laughs> Whoops. So yeah, I, I abandoned that and went back to UBC and decided to try uh, doing a climatology degree. And that was where I met my husband, who's a climatologist. And here we are now, yes. following, following husbands across <laughs> the country, right, exactly. the two of us. Do you feel, how do you feel that your education um, or maybe previous work experience prepared you to write Queen of Physics and, also, and just to be a writer in general? Well, I've always loved writing. Uh, I learned English when I was eight years old when we moved to Canada, mm-hmm. and um, right after I finished learning English, which is essentially grade four by that point, I started writing poetry. And my mom had always encouraged me, so not a typical Chinese parent. My parents thought it would be great if I did art and writing instead of, you know, doctor or lawyer or accountant, which is a big (laughs) one. Um, So yeah, my parents never wanted me to do any of those other things. They thought it would be great if I could be a writer or an artist or something like that. Do you think they were responding to your interests or was that just something that they thought was cool in general? They are very, I guess, traditionally minded Chinese. So I guess Confucian, you can say. Mm -hmm. So they value just learning, learning for the sake of learning. And growing up, they always taught me Chinese poetry. So uh, I learned how to, you know, read and write more Chinese because mm-hmm. I was only eight when we moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. So they, my mom, who was a teacher in Hong Kong, continued to teach me and my sister uh, how to write and read more Chinese through ancient Chinese poetry. So they were always into that ideal of... Um, Oh, back in the day when people in China valued poets mm-hmm. and artists. Mm-hmm. So that's why they encouraged us to do that. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that because you know, at least Chinese culture and I think Asian cultures, many Asian cultures in general, they do value education and learning mm-hmm. and scholarship and the arts. I It's interesting that I feel like sometimes that gets lost in the immigration experience. Yes. Because... There, at that point, your parents, you know, you know, our parents are just trying to survive, and so mm-hmm. they they encourage us to pick safe careers that will mm-hmm. give us lots of money, and we kind of lose that value that we, you know, that sort of cultural value. Uh, not lose, but it gets a little bit diluted. I feel like mm-hmm. um, my dad is kind. Of, I think my dad is more of the. He has a little bit more artist in mm-hmm. him, um, even though he's you know 
an academic and a bureaucrat. (laughs) (laughs) uh, My mom is very, very practical minded, but I think Mm -hmm. my dad, um, my dad is more of the, has keeps a little bit of that artistic bent to him. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some challenges and rewards of being a writer and, and getting published too? I would say the challenge is always worrying whether you'll sell the next book. Uh-huh. Even established authors, well, very well-known authors have that worry. Well, maybe not J.K. Rowling or Stephen <laughs> King, but the rest of us, children's book authors, um, tend to have that uh, worry. And that would be the biggest challenge. And some people worry that they will never have a good idea again. <laughs> Oh, I w- that sounds like me. I wake up every morning like, oh gosh. Uh, yeah, so it's, I, I would say that's the major challenge. And the rewards are when you think about how your writing has touched the lives of others, getting fan mail is always nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, just knowing that even if a, a child never wrote to you about how they love your book, maybe somewhere out there your writing has touch the child. So hopefully my book, Queen of Physics, will encourage a little Chinese girl to grow up and be a physicist instead of an accountant. (laughs) Not that accountants aren't important, but you know. (laughs) But I think, and did you, it sounds like you, did you draw upon your own experience, you know, when you didn't feel confident studying science, did, how did that inform, you know, the creation process of Queen of Physics? I actually, she is not like me that way. Wu, Qian uh, Sheng, was very confident. Mm-hmm. And she always went for what she wanted, even though she faced a lot of racial and sexual prejudice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because back in the day, she was born in 1920. So when she was doing schooling, she... In China, I guess back in the early 20s, they didn't expect girls to, you know, do a lot of school or anything. They probably it's, didn't expect that in the U.S. Either. Yeah, exactly. So, but in U.S., there's the extra layer of challenge of people not trusting Asians at that point because mm-hmm. it was around the time when she came over. It was around the time of World War II, and so even though only the Japanese were the enemies then, and mm-hmm. Chinese were actually their allies, they just see your Asian face Mm -hmm. and they think you're all the same. Mm -hmm. And so she faced a lot of challenges there. In fact, she finished her PhD in Berkeley and she, her advisor wanted Berkeley to hire her and they wouldn't just Mm -hmm. because of the Asian fear at that point. So, um, she was very brave, <laughs> whereas I wasn't. So as I was researching her, I actually got a lot of inspiration from her. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't feel like she was like me, except for the fact that she's Asian and she loved physics, which was me. <laughs> sure. Uh, but otherwise, she and I weren't a lot alike. But I, like I said, I really respected her from reading about her. Mm-hmm. And... I can't remember where I read about her first, but when I knew that she's Chinese and physicist, loves physics, I just knew that I had to write about her. And then, like I said, in the course of my research, I came to admire and respect her and wish I were more like her. (laughs) So I guess the irony is I saw the feature in Bloom magazine about you and your book, and I had the exact same thought about you. Like, oh, oh, (laughs) there is a Chinese-American writer and she is published and she is featured in this magazine. Oh, I wonder if I can be like her. Also, I want to get her on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
thank you so much. See, see, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's that's a reward of having written. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten a lot of positive response to your to your book? Oh, well, my critique partners loved it. And Jane Yolen, who is huge in um, the children's book world. Mm-hmm. I remember reading her books when I was growing oh, up. Oh, that's wonderful. She'll be so happy to hear. She was also the uh, president of the Science Fiction Writers of America mm-hmm. for a while. So she's really well known. She loved my story, which is why she picked it to mentor it when I was trying to work on it. And um, so, if she, be- if Jane Yolen believes in you, it just makes you feel really good right, and right. gives you some confidence. And uh, the my editor Christina loved it too, and so did a bunch of agents that I had sent it to. Uh, I finally signed with the one I have currently, but um, I also recently have a starred review from Booklist. Ooh, the, that's exciting! Yeah, ALA Booklist. So that's fantastic! <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> do you do you have to do your own promotion for the book, or does the publisher handle that? Just, I mean, I don't really know how it works, and I'm sure probably <laughs> some of our listeners would be curious about. You know, the nuts and bolts of the publishing process, too. Mm-hmm. It really depends. If you're a huge name author and your publisher is huge, they might send you on a book tour. Mm-hmm. Although that doesn't happen as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I hear from, you know, established authors who've been doing it for a while. Uh, certainly, some of the big ones still do, but not very much. So, my publisher for this book is Sterling, uh, which is owned by Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of a mid-sized publisher, I would say. In I once Googled, you know, the the top publishers and according to Publishers Weekly, they're number 10. So they're not like small small, but mm-hmm. they're not huge huge. And I think if they had some huge name author, they might send them on a short book tour, but their budget isn't, you know, isn't large enough. Yeah. yeah. So for a debut author, it's very difficult to to get, you know, that kind of treatment. But they have been very helpful. My editors, I am on my second one because my first editor moved houses, which is very common in publishing. So if you're going oh, to publishing, that sounds scary. <laughs> it <laughs> is. You get attached to one person and then exactly. they disappear. Oh, and and I was very fortunate. So my first editor was just wonderful and when she left for another publishing company the second editor who came in asked specifically to work on my story and so she's been very attentive and just wonderful whereas I know that some other people who are in the same company they've actually switched like three editors so they're on their third or fourth now and so they don't feel like they know them very well and it's just hard for them but yeah I'm sorry. What was your question again? <laughs> oh, oh, publishing, sending on book tour. That's right. So, yeah, for for debut author, the marketing is mostly up to me. They do assign you a publicist, mm-hmm. so she has been helping me, you know, work on getting things out to different places to be reviewed, like booklists and um, other major venues. And um, but other things, like if I want to have a book launch party or do author book signings, it's up to me. Okay. To do. So you're probably having to learn a little bit of PR yes. and marketing and yes. just even a, like kind of not entrepreneurship, but just like creating a digital presence. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because um, I think some people, especially if you're an, a, an adult nonfiction writer, you should already have a platform before you 
go into trying to have your book published. For kid-lit authors, not so much, but they do like it if you have uh, a good online presence. Mm -hmm. And I have not a lot, but over 3,000 Twitter followers. more than I have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have had this account for, gosh, what, nine years now? So, you know. (laughs) But, um, yes, so... You, as an author who's just starting out, especially, you do have to learn a lot about these things. And that's where having critique groups and being a part of a larger organization like Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators really helps. And having an agent helps too, because she or he will give you that kind of advice to, to help you along. Agents don't well, they're you know they don't have to. It's not in their contract to to help you promote. Mm-hmm. Like my agent wouldn't arrange a book tour for me or anything like that. But she can give me advice on what to do mm-hmm. if I were to go on a if I organized one myself and and did it. So it helps. And agents are also wonderful because then you don't have to worry about the legalese and negotiating contracts. Sure, sure. So the agent is the you you had an agent sell the basically sell the book to a publisher, correct? Yeah, in my case, it, I actually got the publisher interest first oh, okay. and then I went to look for an agent, but mm-hmm. normally in the normal process is you would get an agent and then the agent would send your story around to different publishers and then when you get an interest from a publisher, they will help negotiate the contract and everything to your best interest mm-hmm. because they get a percentage of your best interest. <laughs> so it's kind of like a real estate agent helping people buy houses a little bit. It's a little bit like that, yeah. Uh, except they w- tend to, anyway, some don't, but they tend to work with you through your entire career. So they want what's best for you because if your book does well and you get royalties, mm-hmm. then they will get a part of that. Mm-hmm. So it behooves them for for you to do well because then they do well. Right. And then if your first book does well, you'll probably be able to sell a second book. Yes. I mean, I think that's how that works. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What are you working on now? I am working on a number of things, but I I don't know whether this came out when Bloom was, uh, the Bloom article was published, but I do have a second book coming out in spring. Oh, that's exciting. Of 2020. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, it's called Bicycles in Beijing. <laughs> and it was inspired when my father took my whole family and my sister on this trip through China. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had done it previously back in 1987, but my kids have never gone and neither had my husband. So he took all of us there and we went to Shanghai and Beijing and Xi'an and Hong Kong and just you know, while touring there, I just started thinking about all the beautiful sights in Beijing. And so after I got back, I started penning this story and I put in the perspective of a couple of bicycles as kind of main characters. I oh, anthropomorphized so them. Yeah. So they came out of the factory together and they're friends, you know, sitting in the storefront together. <laughs> and then one gets sold and the other one panics. So when the other one gets sold, it races through the city looking for its friend. And along the way, you get to see the sights of Beijing. That is so. That is such an original and fun idea. Oh, thanks. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I used to pretend my bicycle was a horse because oh. I. Oh. 
<laughs> because I loved horses, but I was also really allergic to them, so oh, I couldn't no. actually like ride any. So I would ride around my neighborhood <laughs> on my bicycle, pretending I was on a racehorse. Anyway, that's so cute. Um, I mean, I just love I love that you are doing children's books from an Asian American perspective. Um, now that I've become a parent, and I don't know if this was your experience or not, but. There's nobody in any picture books that looks like my kid. Yeah. And I just, I love when I find books and there's apps now for like learning Chinese that yes. my kid really, really likes. Mm. I'm, I mean, I dropped out of Chinese school when I, was <laughs> when I was in seventh grade and I kind of regret that now because I can't speak the language as well as I would like to. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's technology, there's books and things, but it's, it's hard to find. Yes. Um, resources for for kids that in 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 our home cultures yes Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have any advice for asian americans who want to publish a book either either a children's book or or otherwise well i really only know about the the children's area because i i do write some adult but it's in sci-fi short stories so i haven't really looked into uh the books world but it it works pretty much the same. So I would say take classes. I've taken a ton of classes on writing. And if you're interested in illustrating, there are a lot of good classes too. And and I can certainly recommend some to you. You can put it on your... Yeah, um, I can include them in the yeah. show notes. Are these online classes in person? I mainly took online classes okay. just because I well I've taken some when John Waldron Art Center here used to be just like you know it's its own organization mm-hmm. I w- had taken some arts courses here and I took um, a couple of writing classes through Indiana University but I also took some through my own you know university mm-hmm. but online classes are really convenient because you can do them at home at your own time and there are ones that follow a certain schedule so you have to be there for like one class a a week or something but others are self-paced and so it's really handy for stay-at-home moms or you know which I was for years and years Mm -hmm. so um that that's what I would recommend just hone your craft first and then when you feel that you're ready oh and join a critique group that is so helpful to have other people who can look at your writing and give you feedback as to what they think is you know, something you're doing right or wrong. And then once you think you've gotten to a good level of skill, then start querying agents or sending your work out to publishers who still take unsolicited manuscripts, Mm -hmm. which that market is shrinking. It used to be back in the 80s, everybody was open to the transom, as they call it. But now so many publishers just will go through agents. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a smaller market, but there's still good publishers who who will take just unsolicited uh, submissions. But finding an agent, I think, is a good way to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, there are organizations you can join that I'm not so sure about for the adults ones because they're very specific uh, markets. Like if you write science fiction, mm-hmm. you can join the... Although, no, you cannot just join the SFWA, Science Fiction Writers of America. I think you have to have certain uh, publications under your belt before sure. you can join that. But SCBWI, if you write children's literature, is very welcoming. You can join at any level. You can have absolutely no experience at all. And you can join and they have publications and other resources for you to 
learn how to how to do it and how to get into the business. My friends run this wonderful website called Kitlet Four One One. And they also have a whole bunch of resources on there too for for people of all levels, like whether you're just beginning or looking for an agent or trying to negotiate contracts or stuff. They have resources on there for everybody. Like I said, I'm not as certain about adult resources, except I would go to the library here, our wonderful Monroe County Public Library. They have a whole whole bunch of excellent writing books, everything from the craft to, say, Writer's uh, Digest Market Guides, Writer's Digest Market to Agents mm-hmm. or, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. So they're a great resource. Read lots. I, I just feel like if you are a writer and you can't be an autodidact and go to the library and, and go online and research all these things yourself, then maybe you should reconsider being a writer. <laughs> Seriously. For sure. <laughs> For sure. I think I feel like most of my major skills I have picked up just by consuming that content. Yes. Long enough and then figuring out how to do it myself. Yes, exactly. Google is a great thing. <laughs> it is. I don't know how people ever managed without <laughs> back in the old days. <laughs> I mean, I I went to school. I was in school before Google existed. <laughs> I mostly just use a computer to like play <laughs> games, though. <laughs> and now I make my living from it. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Teresa, for sharing your experience with us. Um, and your book comes out again in the spring of 2020? The Queen of Physics comes out October 8th. Okay. And Bicycles in Beijing comes out spring of 2020. I don't have the exact date yet. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And we'll, I'll update the show notes when that does come out. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Jennifer. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutive, A-U-N-T-I-E.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time.